Welcome to Owl Have You Know, a podcast from Rice Business. This episode is part of our Flight Path series, where guests share their career journeys and stories of the Rice connections that got them where they are. Today on I'll Have You Know, we talk with a full-time MBA from 2019 who is changing the innovation landscape not only in Houston, but the world. A biomedical engineer by trade, visionary, and serial entrepreneur, Joanna Nathan shares her career journey, passion for healthcare, deep connection to Rice, and how the heartbreaking loss of her young son serves as inspiration to continue her work and finding groundbreaking technologies to help others. Welcome, Joanna. How are you today? I'm great. I'm so excited to be here. Thanks for having me. Well, we are exceptionally excited to have you here with us. Uh, You have been pretty busy since earning your MBA in 2019. You're truly a serial entrepreneur powerhouse in the healthcare space, and there's so much to talk with you about today, and I want to get to all of it especially your latest project, Prana Thoracic, which develops solutions for the detection and intervention of early-stage lung cancer, an extraordinarily innovative medical device startup. So we'll get to that in a minute. But first, I want to get to your journey about how you were catapulted here with us today. So let's start with the fact that you are actually not even rice twice, but you are rice Rice, which means that you earned three degrees from rice, and you have definitely earned all of your owl wings. So you have a degree, a bachelor's degree, and a master's degree in bioengineering, and your MBA. So clearly, you love rice. I love rice. It's my favorite place in the world, yes. And it's a family affair. Your father went to Rice and earned his PhD in civil engineering in 1987. So was he the catalyst and inspiration for why you chose Rice three times? Uh, A little bit. Actually, initially, I would say kind of the opposite. My mini version of Teenage Rebellion when I was in high school was not wanting to, to go to Rice because it would be following in my dad's footsteps. And I wanted to be different and carve out my own path. But the summer before senior year, you know, I visited the campus and I absolutely fell in love with this place and the wonderfully nerdy, driven, kind and collaborative people that made it. It was such a unique culture that I knew I had to go here. So that really coming here and visiting and seeing for myself is really what originated, I guess, the love story with Rice. And then beyond that, just that then extended to Houston, right? All of the same stuff I think that is wonderful about Rice extends to Houston. Just the diversity. It's a new kind of, you know, city and a little bit of an underdog sometimes. And just the ability to build something here as a young person that exists that may not exist everywhere in in other major cities. So I think the love for Rice in Houston came from those things. So where did you want to go before? (laughs) I knew I wanted to be a bioengineer, so I was applying to schools mostly up and down the East Coast that were good at that, so Hopkins, Duke, that kind of stuff. But again, I just, I think the thing that really did it for me here was how kind and collaborative people were. Like, I never felt like, even on the tours, you know, college tours, that kind of stuff, it was always about, we're going to work together and figure this out your college experience, and then that extended to to grad school, right? 
And I didn't quite get that feel in other places as much. So I think it was really that collaborative kind of spirit of we're going to get you guys, you know, you have crossed the finish line as a team, as Rice. I think that was a huge attractant as well. So what made you interested in bioengineering? I originally wanted to be an archaeologist. (laughs) Indiana (laughs) Jones? Yes, Indiana Jones. (laughs) And I wanted to do that actually all the way through probably like early high school was kind of my primary interest. But I grew up in the Middle East. I was born and raised in Abu Dhabi. And I actually got to experience what archaeology truly looked like. And I realized that it wasn't for me. It was a lot less glamour and a lot less adventurous and a lot more... (laughs) you know, a lot more meticulous than I anticipated. And so I think I was actively searching for something new to work on to kind of spend my life doing in high school, at least. And I read about originally nanotechnology, you know, like the little nanorobots that go in and inject things into tumors and blow them up, stuff like that. And that kind of drove my original interest in bioengineering. That's not what I do today, but that was kind of the original inspiration. And of course, I've found through testing the hypothesis of my career over and over again that I always come back to wanting to help patients. That's been kind of the consistent theme of my career. Absolutely. It has been because you have quite the career. And I mean, you're not even close to being 40 years old. So I can only imagine what the future holds for you. It's really exciting to have done so many things in your life. I mean, you've started a nonprofit. You've worked for a VC firm. You worked for Johnson & Johnson. You were at the Texas Heart Institute at Serranus. And we'll talk about all of those things. And now you're, you're the CEO of this really incredible biomedical company that detects lung cancer, which the far reaches of that and saving the world, so to speak, are all ahead of you. And and it's really exciting. And it all started right here at Rice. So I want to talk to you a bit about how you transitioned from biomedical engineering to entrepreneurship. Now, We know that Rice is the number one entrepreneurship school in the country, really, I would say, I would venture to say the world. So I understand why you would want to, if you want to go to the number one school, Rice would be it. But what transitioned you from bioengineering into business? Yeah, so I think for me, I realized through my early work experiences at Texas Heart, at Serranus, I realized that I had an interest in developing this very particular skill set, which is building and telling the stories of technologies that could save lives. And again, going back to kind of that patient impact piece. So, you know, when something goes from benchtop to clinic, the term that's used there is translation. If you've heard translational medicine, that kind of term. And I think I get to do two kinds of translation. So there's certainly that, taking something from an idea to the patient's bedside. But there's also the translation kind of from language perspective and human perspective, I guess, of taking something that is typically a very complex innovation, right? In biology and in medicine, innovation is very complex because the body is extremely complex and biology is extremely complex. And taking kind of the scientists and engineers and working with them on their incredible innovation and then translating that into the business world both in terms of telling the story of those technologies, but then also building the strategy around actually getting those technologies to the market and to the patient. So that's kind of why I wanted to find that skill set. 
And I thought Rice would be a great place to do that, particularly because of its entrepreneurial focus. And I came back specifically to build out all of those pieces. So storytelling, strategy, learning the investor mindset, because I'd mostly been on the entrepreneur side of the table at that time. And then I ended up gaining a ton of other skills as well, finance, organizational behavior, all of these other things. I also found an incredible community there. You know, when I started at Rice Business, I'd already been in Houston for about a decade. And I thought all of my friend slots were full and I didn't need any new (laughs) friends or community. But I ended up finding this incredible community of leaders that really served as a sounding board for and continue to serve as a sounding board for me, both for work and work issues and life. And now they're some of my closest friends. So I loved doing the Rice MBA and I tell people all the time I would do it six, seven more times if I could. Well, that's actually a good idea. Maybe they'll have like a rice. I don't even know what you would call like a rice four times, <laughs> like a, a quad rice, right? A quad rice degree. So tell me about this nonprofit and what spurred that drive to open a nonprofit. At the time, you know, I was a student, a fresh kind of grad And I'd taken actually a a rice business class as an engineering student. I took uh, life science entrepreneurship, which is co-listed with bioengineering and rice business. It was really the first time that I had found a group of people that were excited about innovation and life sciences. Through that class, which is taught by Jack Gill, who's incredible, you know, VC with a great career history in medical innovation. Around that time, that was the first time I really found like-minded people. And I was in the process of transitioning into my career in innovation. And I realized, you know, unlike management consulting or banking or kind of these more traditional paths, there wasn't this obvious path or clear-cut, you know, this is the way you get into entrepreneurship or innovation set out if that's what you wanted to do. And so the nonprofit and venture really started out of that class. It was a group of us that met in that class that wanted to keep that feeling of community going. And so we started out, you know, as a community organization with happy hours and breakfasts and things like that. And it has grown to this incredible grassroots organization that's still run primarily by students for students. And now it encompasses education. It has its own accelerator program all kinds of stuff. Consulting, we consult for a lot of healthcare, early stage healthcare startups. So it's become this bigger thing of its own. And I'm still definitely involved. But like I said, we intentionally made sure that students were always involved and students drove the nonprofit. I think that's what's kind of kept it going and kept it aligned to its mission. And this is an experiential learning opportunity for more than 2,000 aspiring entrepreneurs across Texas, or has it grown since then? Yeah, it's a, it's a little more than that, especially because we've now branched out to actually have a chapter in San Antonio as well. That happened in the, in the last couple of years. And then adding kind of the virtual component over the last, just through the pandemic and stuff, has expanded our reach to even the coasts and things like that. So it's a little bit over that in terms of the people that are actively engaged. But that's really taken off. That growth beyond Houston has really taken off in the last few years, kind of thanks to the pandemic. And it was after InVenture where you were exposed to venture capital that you were telling me about with your professor. Is that what led you to the Mercury Fund here in Houston? Yes. Yeah. So I met the Mercury Fund team actually through Rice as well. They teach a financing startups course. It's Venture Capital 101, essentially, to the partners there teach it. 
And I knew coming into Rice that one of the things I really wanted to learn, as I you know mentioned earlier, was the investor mindset. Because I had primarily seen technologies through the entrepreneur's lens or the scientist's lens or the engineer's lens, different things like that. But I had not yet seen or experienced myself how investors validate those technologies, how they decide what is worth kind of taking the risk on. And so the investor mindset was definitely something I wanted to learn. And through that class, I got to know Aziz and Blair at at Mercury Fund and ended up working for them. Actually, even in addition to the internship over the summer, I, I actually worked for them beyond that as well and got to delve deep into how investors work and think and evaluate early stage technology. So that was a really, really great experience for me that I've been able to put to use as I'm fundraising now, again, on the other side of the table. So what did you learn? How do they think and and what do they choose to invest in? And what are the top five things that (laughs) innovators need to, I mean, I'm just going to go right to the root of it because I want (laughs) to know the answers, right? (laughs) Yeah, I think there are a few different things I learned. I think one is that As an investor, you never have all the answers to all of the questions because there's always going to be, especially in early stage venture, but really at any point in time as you're investing, you don't know how things are going to work out. You only know the list of questions that you have and how comfortable you can get with the level of risk kind of associated with those open questions. So I think that was a big kind of eye-opening thing is investors don't necessarily have all the answers and need to have every single thing figured out. It's just getting them comfortable to a level of risk that they feel comfortable with some of those open questions. I think that was one big thing I learned. The second thing I learned is timing, people, all of that matters so much. I think a fund, depending on where it is in its life, if you're towards the end of the fund versus the beginning of a fund, depending on what else they've invested in their portfolio, there's all of these factors that go into figuring out if they should invest in a company that don't necessarily have to do with that company, right? It doesn't necessarily have to do with the company's merit, but maybe it's that they're late in their fund and so they can't invest in something that's going to take three or four years to exit, or they've already invested in two things in that space and so they don't have room for a third. And so I think that was really interesting to learn as well as just fund dynamics and how investors themselves have to think about selling their funds to their LPs and stuff and how that plays into the decision-making that they make. And I think the last big thing that I learned is the people piece is super important. So investors are really there ultimately to help and mentor you, especially once they've actually written that check. They are essentially an extension of your team. And I think what I got to see on the investor side is When entrepreneurs are really open and go to their investors with issues and include them as part of their team and treat them as a resource, that's when those relationships work really well, as opposed to the entrepreneurs that feel like they always have to have everything perfect and figured out for the investors. And of course, there's a balance there, but you don't have to have everything neatly tied up in a little bow at every board meeting. I think the the big thing is Those investors have seen so many deals, they have pattern recognition, they have access to resources that, you know, an individual entrepreneur may not. And so it's really important to be vulnerable with them about your issues so that you can leverage some of their solutions. I think that was another big learning for me. And I think everybody should still take that class, even though you just gave us some of those answers, right? (laughs) (laughs) That's not the whole class. I didn't ruin it. Oh, no, no. (laughs) 
So so after the Mercury Funds, you moved on to Johnson & Johnson, and you served as the manager of new ventures and device innovation for three years. Tell me about your time at Johnson & Johnson. I got to kind of extend my time in that investor mindset because what I was doing for Johnson & Johnson was managing a portfolio of resident startups that were kind of strategically aligned to J&J's medical device businesses. So I continued to build on that investor mindset, but I also got to do a lot of portfolio management. So learning to work across a very broad set of med tech companies, learning about a ton of new disease states, and then also knowing when to dive deep on a specific issue with an entrepreneur, whether it was their regulatory strategy or they're trying to figure out their hiring plan or they're trying to build their budget for their next raise, knowing when to kind of dive deep and roll up my sleeves and get involved. And so, yeah, I got to work with several early stage med tech companies. And in some cases or in many cases, I got to shape their stories and their strategies and be part of that alongside them. And it was a really great experience for me to be able to do that. And again, leverage all of those lessons as well as I start my own venture again. And Serranus. So Serranus is Medi Rizavi's company. Yes. I, I know Dr. Rizavi. Um, <laughs> yeah. I do. I do. I know him pretty well. Tell me about Serranus and their cardiology medical device startup. So Medi is one of my favorite humans, one of the best mentors I've ever had. And Mine he- too. I love him. <laughs> <laughs> so he was my boss at Texas Heart Institute. And then as I transitioned into my role at Serranus, he kind of stayed a long-term mentor. So that company was... Actually, one of the only times I was kind of an engineer, if that makes sense, or one of my only roles where I got to flex that muscle. I ran product development there in the very early stages as we were going from really early prototypes, kind of still in that napkin sketch idea phase, through testing some things in animals and demonstrating that we had a working prototype very, very early My role at that time was director of product development, and I got to manage a lot of those pieces. And I do really love the challenge of building new technologies, but I think that's also where I got, I realized my passion actually truly lay with storytelling and and doing the business side and the strategy, because luckily the team at Serranus allowed me to branch out into those things and transition into doing more things in addition to just being uh, product development and engineering focused. So that was an early experience that helped me, again, narrow into what I wanted to do within innovation. Managing early stage startups in healthcare, there are significant challenges there. It it takes quite a bit to stay motivated to make progress in the medical field. And, And developing new technologies is a slow and tedious process. So tell me how you get through that. As an innovator, as an entrepreneur, as a bioengineer, what sort of advice would you give those folks that are out there that are working on the next life-saving technology that it takes a lot of time and with FDA approval and, and everything else? Can you touch a little bit about that? Yeah, I think most people that work in this world have something that inspired them to do that. And often that's typically a patient experience or a family's patient experience or something like that of their own. And so for me, it's going back to to that moment from my own experience and leveraging that for the long term, if that makes sense. I think entrepreneurship is lonely. I don't think people realize that. It's it's hard and it's lonely. And I think making sure you surround yourself with a community of entrepreneurs is really important. I have a couple of other CEOs, female CEOs of respiratory companies, so very niche, but they truly understand, you know, what I'm going through that I go talk to regularly about 
you know, just when I need to vent, when there's nobody I can vent to, you know, that may be on my team or can't vent to my board, you know, stuff like that. It's just (laughs) so great to have to have people to rely on that are in the same or in a very similar spot to you. So I think seeking that community, finding that community early in your entrepreneur journey is really important. And, you know, and venture could be part of that. There's a lot of other community aspects to all the different organizations in Houston that do support the innovation ecosystem. I think finding that community is really important and then keeping that patient experience in mind, the end goal of who you're trying to help, the lives you're trying to save, the families that you're trying to keep together, all of that stuff, I think is really important along the way. Let's talk about personally your own story. You were a single mom to your son, Lionel, who tragically and suddenly passed away last year in 2021 when he was four years old from an undiagnosed health problem. And I'm sure that 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 has tremendously shaped who you are today and your goals for medical device and medical innovation. And you wrote a very deep, incredible blog about him that, that I read. And I wanted to take a little bit of time for you to share that experience of your precious boy and the loss you sustained. Can you tell me about him? Yeah, Lionel Lionel was the greatest little four-year-old. He was our class, our rice business class's essentially mascot. He was always running around at Partio and stuff like that. And he really embodied intellectual curiosity. If there was one characteristic I think I had to attribute to him, it was that curiosity. And if there was a second, it would be joy. So he just lived life fully. He never hesitated to ask questions. He never hesitated to have a good time. And I think for me, I'm still going through my grief journey. I will be for my whole life, but it's still, you know, relatively new. It's been, you know, less than 18 months. So I'm still trying to figure out how I can best honor him and and keep his memory going and honor his life. And I think, you know, Lionel continues to inspire me all the time. So my experience with losing him, with being in a hospital for for five days and just, you know, not knowing what was going to happen with being the decision maker on some of the really, really, really tough healthcare decisions that I had to make on, on his behalf, really. It just, I have all of those things in mind as I kind of move forward into chronothoracic. So I think that whole experience, it's pushed me, Lionel and losing Lionel has pushed me to love harder, to lean into joy, to experience life to its fullest, just like my kid, and to be a little wild like my kid as well. Um, So I've spent a lot of time traveling and camping and and kind of trying to experience kind of that wilderness, wildness, all of that kind of stuff. For me, as far as how it translates to my work life, work is so much of what we spend our life doing. And I think losing Lionel has inspired me to make that as meaningful and as enjoyable as possible, both for myself and those around me. And I really hope to bring some of those values to my team as, as we build it out over the next few years. But Lionel will kind of be my guiding light for the rest of my career and, and always the anchor that I come back to when I'm having a tough time or I'm having a bad day or I had a bad board meeting or something. It's helpful to have something like that to, to drive me forward as devastating as it was for me, I'm trying to take that and leverage that and, and use it to help other patients. Yes, you, you definitely have a, a unique perspective. You really do understand the patients that you would be helping with your innovations at a different level than most innovators. And I do want to move on to, to prana thoracic, which is 
what you're doing now. And I mean, it's, I was reading about it and it's just, it's, it's fascinating. It's, it's a game changer for cancer patients across the entire world. So, so tell me how this brainchild developed and where it is now and where you're planning on going with it. Sure. Yeah. So through my time at J&J, I really got to learn a lot about lung cancer. It's a very strong focus for them. And lung cancer is a terribly devastating disease. So if you're diagnosed with lung cancer, there's a very strong chance the majority of patients will die within a year of that diagnosis. So to me, that is an unacceptable rate. And we still don't catch it early enough. I think that is the biggest challenge with lung cancer is by the time you find it, it's, you know, it's spread rapidly enough or far enough that it's hard to intervene. So one of the reasons that this happens or has happened with lung cancer is historically we haven't screened for lung cancer. So we screen for cervical cancer, we screen for prostate cancer, breast cancer, all of these other cancers. And, and we've seen that screening works and kind of the rates of survival of those cancers has gone up significantly as screening was adopted for each of those. So screening has only just begun for lung cancer, specifically for, you know, high-risk patients that smoked a certain amount or of a certain age, things like that. But once you screen, you actually have to find a way to, con one, confirm that it's cancer. So go grab tissue and make sure that you know what you're dealing with. And second, figure out what to do to treat that patient, what the best possible treatment pathways for that patient. So prana thoracic is working on a solution, a medical device that helps intervene earlier in the lung cancer patient's journey so that they have a better chance at survival, essentially, so that we can catch it early enough to make an impact on their survival. This technology was essentially developed within the Center for Device Innovation, where my last role was. So I got to be involved with some of the strategy around it. And towards the end of last year, I was approached with the opportunity to spin it out and to run that deal. It was just a few months after I'd lost Lionel, so I, at the time I wasn't totally sure. But I ended up going on a camping trip soon after that offer, and it just kind of gave me the clarity and helped me realize that was what I wanted to do next in terms of taking, like we talked about, some of my pain, some of my grief, and leveraging that for other patients, other families. So that's kind of how I decided to take it and run with it. And yeah, now we're off to the races. We've launched and we're getting ready to start the next kind of two years of work. Wow. Well, I, I can't wait to see where it goes. I'm very excited about it. I know that, that a lot of people are very excited about it. And I have no doubt that it is going to change the quality of life and the kind of care that cancer patients receive and hopefully have a, a much better prognosis than before prana existed. So so you have had an extremely impressive career in healthcare and entrepreneurship. What accomplishments are you the most proud of? That's a really good question. Honestly, I think I am extremely proud of some of the products I've gotten to be part of building and all of that because ultimately those impact patients. But I think the multiplier effect of building something like InVenture that could take a bunch of people, you know, maybe even thousands of people, hundreds of people, if not thousands, 
and inspire them and give them the tools to become entrepreneurs themselves and to take their innovations to market. I think that is actually my proudest achievement because of that multiplier effect, right, of, of something like that, of being able to give the gift of entrepreneurship, which was somewhat given to me, and, and pass that on to others. I think that is probably my proudest accomplishment. I think the other thing for me Thinking about pronothoracic, I've thought a lot about what success would look like there. Obviously, getting the device to the bedside is a big piece of that. But for me, another thing I'm very excited about is building a culture of integrity and empathy and communication at Prana. And I think another marker of success for me, similar to the story with InVenture, would to make sure that the people on my team have such a good experience that they go on to build their own companies with teams and cultures similar to Prana's. So I think that's a big piece for me as well as I think about the next step. And that was one of the first things that you started back in, in 2012. Yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it's been really the force that has driven you and driven so many other entrepreneurs. So that's exciting. And it's wonderful that it continues on today after you launched it in 2012. In the healthcare space, in the areas that you're not involved in, what do you think can benefit the most from innovation? I think one space that needs a lot of attention and I think is finally starting to get it is femtech or that OB-GYNs can use, things like that. I think if you look at the history of how some of those tools and things that are still used today were developed, it's not a great history. And I am excited to see so many entrepreneurs now like think about this space and, and how to do better, because I think it's been an area that has been neglected. You know, there's a lot of people talking about how there's a lack of diversity in clinical trials, both in terms of gender and ethnicity, all of these different things. And so I think medicine is definitely moving in the right direction, which is not assuming every device, every medication, every drug is meant for a middle-aged man, essentially, and including kind of all of these other communities and how they develop new innovations. So I think that that is one that's exciting for me to see. It was I worked on a project in the femtech space while I was at Rice. And so it's been really exciting to see that space get so much attention in the last couple of years. And I hope that only continues to grow. I mean, it is 52% of the population is yes, women. Yes. <laughs> Some of the majority of population. Yes, you know, yeah. And we make 80% of healthcare decisions. So, I mean, it's, it's you know, even beyond just affecting our body. We make the healthcare decisions for our families a lot of the time, yes. too. So we should absolutely have more people targeting us and, and technologies that help us and are built for us. So, yes, absolutely. So, so you, like I said, graduated in 2019. And for those potential MBA students at Rice that are thinking about Rice as their home for the next couple of years to pursue their MBAs, what advice would you give them? And what would you say, why should they choose Rice over any other school in the country and really the world? Rice is an incredible community. And I go back to the original thing I said about how wonderfully kind and collaborative the community is here. And if you can just think about how much that would shape your MBA experience, I think that's the thing I focus on is, is really the people that I'm surrounded with, both in terms of my classmates, but even the faculty, the staff, everybody is really there to collaborate and help you. And I think that's the big draw. And then you can follow that with, you know, high ranking in entrepreneurship and finance and all of these great things. I think Rice actually 
is incredibly academically strong, which isn't necessarily always a focus for MBA programs. But I think Rice really, you really have to work hard <laughs> to do well. It's, you know, it's not necessarily like a checkbox kind of thing as far as the academics. So that's really strong as well, I think. In terms of advice, again, I always go back to people. I think there's definitely a lot of things, hard skills and things like that you can focus on through the MBA. But I think for me, what I've come away with is that community of people that are some of my closest friends or my sounding board for work and life. That is the greatest asset that Rice Business has given me. And sometimes that includes people, like I said, faculty at Rice that I can go back to and ask questions and ask for help. Really focusing on, in addition to all of the stuff you have to do for your, your grades, for your career path, really leaning into that community, really leaning into your class and building your network, not just in terms of how you can use the network, but building that community piece is a really important aspect of the MBA. And so I would say to definitely leverage that. Wonderful. Well, Joanna, it's been a sincere pleasure to talk with you today. And we are incredibly grateful for your time, your insight, your contributions, not only to Rise, but to the healthcare industry. And I, for one, cannot wait to see what Prana does and what you do. Because, you know, I know that Prana isn't the end. It's <laughs> somewhere towards the beginning of all the incredible things that you have yet to do. So thank you so much for being with us here today. And thanks so much for having me. I really enjoyed our conversation. Thanks for listening. This has been I'll Have You Know, a production of Rice Business. You can find more information about our guests, hosts, and announcements on our website, business.rice.edu. Please subscribe and leave a rating wherever you find your favorite podcasts. We'd love to hear what you think. The hosts of I'll Have You Know are myself, Maya Pomeroy, and Scott Gale.